Will Alexander writes like no one else I've ever read. His imagination is ever unfolding, taking the reader on a journey that ne necessitates some suspension of belief and a lot of trust in the poet. But if you are familiar with his work, then you know the reward of taking his hand and embarking on the adventure with him. Miraculous syntactic spirals that combine scientific theory with imagery that is almost psychedelic and certainly surreal. Alexander's pieces seem to span all of creation, exploring origin and evolution of language, of life, of religion, from the view of a prophetic and relentless speaker. Will Alexander doesn't fit neatly into any tradition or school of thought. He's breaking new ground, and in doing so, forming a place for a new kind of poetry. Although he's been compared to Sun Ra, Césaire, and William Blake, None of these are quite right, and Alexander refuses to rely on reference or past literary movements to comfort his readers. Instead, he invents a new lexicon, introducing words that don't really exist, in that they don't appear in the OED. Yet, they make perfect sense in the context of his poems. Words like transphysical and insinuendos are completely fresh, yet are familiar because we recognize their parts. Known predominantly for his books of poetry, most recently Asia and Haiti and Exobiology as Goddess, Alexander's latest publication, just out this year, is the fascinating novel Sunrise and Armageddon. Like some of his poetry, the novel can be read as a Gnostic tale, chronicling a present in constant flux, forever balancing light and dark. It confronts the divisions that plague our present, which Alexander presents in sharp contrast to a more indigenous vision of the universe as one fluid entity, without distinction of mind and body or self and other. The novel employs the same rich and imagistic language of his poems, but stretches out and fills in with a compelling narrative thread. In addition to writing poetry and novels, Alexander is an accomplished essayist, educator, and visual artist. He was named Outstanding Scholar of the 20th Century by the International Biographical Center in Cambridge, was recognized by the Whiting Foundation for Literary Excellence, and received a fellowship in 2002 from the California Arts Council, among other distinctions. Despite all of these honors, if you asked him, I think Alexander would say he is most proud of his work with youth in the Los Angeles area where he resides. Alexander has for years been working with Theater of Hearts, Youth First, a nonprofit organization which provides writing workshops for underserved, at-risk youth. But he's here today foremost for his poetry, and I'll leave you with some of his own words about his work that come from a conversation he had with Harriet Mullen and was later published in Callaloo. I know this, that the poet has to be infused with the plasma, the river of poetry, so that the river sweeps through, and it takes up everything in its path. It all becomes part of the river. The poetry is flowing so strongly that it can go in any direction. That's what allows me to go in any direction I feel. Oh, and also, did I mention he's a fantastic reader? Please join me in welcoming Will Alexander. Thank you, Christian, and uh, thank you, uh, Berkeley, UC Berkeley, and thank you all for coming out and uh, braving the storm this afternoon. Um, not much of a storm compared to, you know, our brethren in Chicago and Bangor, but we uh, are I'm happy that you came out to support today. And uh, I'm going to start uh, reading uh, some smaller poems. I know I do write some poems that are quite expansive, but uh, these are shorter poems from a, a new work that's uh, coming out from uh, Spite and Dival in New York. By the way, very, very interesting press. If you have a chance to go online and take a look at what they're doing, it's, it's quite marvelous. Uh, but the um, book itself is going to be um, part handwritten. It's going to be the poems are handwritten with my visual images. Uh, and it's called Compression and Purity. And uh, it's coming out, oh, sometime in 2007. But we're going to start with a few poems, the shorter pieces from that particular collection. And uh, the first poem is um, entitled Exercise and Particle Neutrino. 
being blank incarnadine neutrino I have exercised as monster as opaque lunation burning under rainfall much like watching a field grow bounds through dissolving exhibit and I understand why the seabeds groan why the underwater quakes much like curious damage from the demiurge with its ruthless and consequent principates with its rhetoric of lower feasting perhaps a pedagogical demonology or a mange war or a dazzled momentary havoc like a horse inflamed on a volcanic river striding towards a soil which erupts into sunspots into ice white infernos the next poem is called coping prana about transcyclical breathing it is the way i breathe through chronic terrifying ferns through a black ungracious stoma it is this uranium rejoinder this impact pointing backwards and when witnessed causes observers to panic to blur and forget and to flee they can't see my approach my wayward dorsal looming my lettering in black drizzle it is my approach my weaving my sigil as curved embankment therefore i can never name myself or plot myself according to the sparks or the splinters from the workbench dazed ruthless with salivation with my awkward insular roamings i am like a few darkened eaglets riveted against the moon that i am brought to a, a table by deafness feasting with herons which spins me by embranglement by encircular abatement always seeking to have me nuded beneath my derma so as to talk to myself so as to cancel my structureless scrutiny they speak of me as lawless as despicable as a typhoon in a sea well as to morals as to fixed and accelerated combination they fix me as deserted bereft as a fragment from a starving lion's compendium i am considered as pointless positron without image as hieroglyph as sundial as martyr being leakage from a barbarous index province and I'll do one more here it's called compound hibernation can you hear me now this is entitled compound hibernation those who glance about me who cease to see inside the sun who cease to imagine its destabilized prequanta cannot know me can i know my ethos as pomus as mingled apparition or flare my perception through the prior sun that i ingest like a blackened preexistence or collected hawks through assignation the sun with its dualisms with its prebiotic photons which waver perhaps nine suns before the sun existed before the oceans seemed formed there were molecular drafts akashic precursors floating proto ammonia i think of carbon and wisp and floodings of feral combat shelter where black geometry accrues before separable biology was born before the contradictory ballast of de-existent protozoa being scorching photon by abstentia like a pre-atomic sigil destabilized as brisen blizzard a precognitive rotation a strange galvanics of the cosmos and because of this galvanics one re- reeks of invisible tremor walking around in league with daunting helium affliction thus the mirrors in my skin like haunted salamander fluid like cells bereft with cooling centigrade rotation therefore i know the abyss as volatile lunar transposition as subliminal mantis as climbing as splintering 
Therefore, I am not an oily or blasphemous yogin collapsing in default by sudden anger or water. Yet I am compound, struggling with scattered mental arrhythmia, with partial psychic aphasia, intensive, elusive, aloof by interior compounding. Um, going to travel further afield, and uh, it's a book I did oh a couple years, some years ago now. It's uh, entitled uh, "Above the Human Nerve Domain," and as in all of my books, I like to do uh, what I consider like psychic, psychic global movement, and so you're 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 always able to move and travel you know, uh, like in a quantum movement rather than in a traveling movement. I mean, you know, one does not need uh, an airplane ticket or a, a, a train ticket. One can just go there instantaneously. And um, at this point, I, I went to, to Germany. And um, I was concerned with um, Mr. Heidegger and his entanglement with national sol- uh, socialism and, and, and that whole conflict which has been you know well documented and so what I did was I went to a book that I can't really name right now it wasn't the most uh, incendiary of the of the investigations but one that was I considered more conservative but yet cast light on the circumstance and uh, the uh, title of the poem is called Concerning Forms Which Hold Heidegger in Judgment. In a flawed Slovakian brick house, Dasein strange to purge from its forms, rulership, pogroms, feces. It seeks general absolution for its crimes as consultant, for its mirage as a man of just causes. It views from its windows ironic brimstone snow, muted conniving intangibles. In philosophy, an exploded circular elf, a thoughtless sodium concentration. Being in the world circuitously tainted by useless Himmlers, by Ernst Jünger and his brigades expressive of Dachau. It is 1962. It is 1947, and it suddenly endures a mirage of throttled gypsies, uh, stony rats embankments sculpted by sullen Polish teeth. And so how can design submit expression to fiery flesh entombment, to ironic flights of Holderlin, to the sun blown away by contraction? It meanders like a rat across its minimal treaty with verbs, across a treaty monitored by guises of vomit. It seeks to summon its furnace with off-white cadavers with minted cerulean remains. It is menaced by some as subjective grief, by deafened monarchs as lead. Then life arrives as neurological engulfment as tariff, as plotting impasse vacuum. Its body polluted hailstone riddles as shattered morality, as shattered flashback spectrum, the true imposture as carcass. One thinks of galactic sand somberly sifted in a haunted Lutheran bottle. Then the rectorship lecture and the quoting of the spirit by general mockery as journey by debut at the gate of sickened thinking intensity. Or design as ice in a darkened migratory vein of its open being across evacuated vacuums. And so the corpses mount for design, Martin. The mimetic Aristotelian motives brought back across the eye as dangerous skeletal kinetics under the guise of eclectic bartering gnomes. Martin, I'm claiming you as leader by acidic incapacity, by megalomania as ejected mirror. Not indictment, ex post facto construction, but thought as eviscerated misnomer, 
as stalled judgmental breakage. Martin, the wind then ignites disjointed geometries. Then the ghosts fly in from the waves. They are ancient and composed of higher bodiless bodies, of nerves that descend to territorial panic. So I think of waiting pences, of moons in the death gas, of claustrophobic beguilement as Richter. The grammar of such German-speaking voice scarred by hardened carrion plums, by diabolical largesse, by the chemical sediments from war. For instance, a seized opal, a seismological burin, a diacritical ammonia. At Freiburg, Dasein opens to the strong desolation of ale, to mental properties conceived in an alcoholic law court. By lapse in the stony circle of crisis, you exude basic codes of crime, condoned by elusive electrical cancer, perhaps a triggered ontology as meteorite, as a strange cephalic scaffolding perch camouflaged at times by the powers of Parmenides and Nietzsche. Beneath your silence, beneath your stony implosives, I invade your deeper storm concerning elusives concerning cranial gain and emotion. I'll continue in this volume. Um, as I said, it's, it's psychic global movement. And I am also concerned with other areas of the biology other than the political or the nationalistic or all the boundaries that we've been given to um, conduct our energies from. Um, and so uh, I'm concerned with the, uh, what uh, Sri Aurobindo was talking about in terms of the, uh, the body not only as uh, walking around on uh, this planet, but the body is, is illuminated uh, by uh, the divine energy. So I'm working uh, not just from the subconscious level, but the, the supraconscious level. And, and Aurobindo did from 1914 to 1919 automatic writing from the supraconscious level. It was pre-Breton. It came from the East. It was in India. It hasn't been well documented or thought about. But, you know, we're, we're part of the, the, the upper levels as well as the, the, the conscious levels as well as the subconscious levels. And so we, are, we can bring up that triple or that riverine mind, you know, moving vertically. And so uh, in this particular poem, I'm concerned with uh, uh, the higher ozone body. And this particular poem is entitled, Provision for the Higher Ozone Body. A beaker of yeast on a phantom blood horizon, sustaining my stoma, my triangular body as hearth, while imbibing hebrephrenia in the void of a dusty electrical house. Alive in a vanished ozone square like a magic hydrogen beast in a jewel. Honing my priority to elevated ferret to quantifiable opacity in that I am able to hunt for plentiful sucrose in a stream. In fiery ratios of bark and gulfs of angry neutron data. Because I claim the fructose of flesh with splinters, I agree upon darkened chemical plans to take away sequentials, to reinforce the blood which ignites the omniscient smoke of ritual Cherokee spiders. Much like the power to secretly ingest hemp, to curiously spill water, feasting within the sands of alchemical Polynesias, within blazing stochastics, eating sheets of interior hawk, or anomalous dandelion lashings or ice from cold cilantro chowders. Or say I drink blood from a haphazard sparrow or swallow peppers from a swirling Mongolian lep leper's nest. I am linked to primordial kerosene example, to floods, to symbols of Assyrian hunting assemblage. 
displaced and obsessed with contaminated grammar which forfeits prophetic ore or the force of uranium cobalt fragments, I mellifluously rise into higher thermal assertion by placing intuitive stones around a sink of explosive shadows. I then re-engender the bottomless and make two or three bickerings of ice vanish into the source of Mexican agua. There then exists the eating of lions on behalf of the alchemical hurricane body, on behalf of its higher levitational beryllium, its claws, its emblems of eclectic butane and voltage. And it is this voltage by which one staggers like an amethyst fish, like a monstrous chaparral of limits on fire with that which annuls the lower gold to a higher state of buffeted emergence. As if under the camouflage of cataracts I were to dwell on glassy vertical soils, compelled by roaring anodyne volcanoes. Every reason exists to impose my scrolls on blank omega warrens. Therefore, being able to breathe at living volational scale, life as spurious mirrored must be emptied, must transcend the flaw in piacula bullocks, so that the bulk, the monorons, the chasms will emit as oracular boundary, assault, a distance prince capable of a lapse at the pitch of the transmuted ozone body. I am um, in part of the uh, global movement. I was listening to uh, a radio broadcast one evening, and uh, for some reason, you know, it was an older car, and the radio signal was in and out. Uh, and uh, I was listening, I guess, to um, NPR uh, Terry Gross. She was interviewing a. Uh, a party, a male party, who was, for some odd reason, I caught a fragment of it, he, was, he would sail through these icebergs. And the way that I heard the story was that he was on what I considered to be this, this, this elliptical schooner going through these icebergs with a dog. And he was talking about the way that the... the the icebergs would shatter and the, the explosions that you would hear around you and the dog was, his, was there as a, uh, uh, a principle of um, stability while he was going through this experience. And, and then for some reason the, the signal got bad, that's all I heard. And from that point forward, <laughs> uh, the imagination began to, uh, to, to work. And, um, and the result was this particular poem called The Water Dog. And uh, the, there's a quote from Thor, Thor uh, Heyerdahl. He says, the dog is the species most accustomed to accompanying early travelers by land and sea. Born under butane and water, under the snapping fire of ice and razors, like a compass pointed at the fact of combustible granite, pointing its ether far beyond the panoramas of glacier and icy landlocked schooners to Antarctic laboring blisters to special atmospheric codes where ice sends up a smoke. Like an exploded measuring jar or expanded zodiacs of lightning, his tongue crystal and fire and fog his power, like a galaxy of anteaters rabies, a noxious weather vane of ions pointing Zambian kangaroo, the Isle of Wight, the beautiful moraines of Bermuda, pointing to the arcane solstice mountains, seeing like a cenobite into the glass sea fires of the Caspian Sea, into the blackened imaginary grottos of the Sahara, a tense, perilous compacting of weathers in a unit of diamonds cracked on sandy Egyptian mountain ranges, filing his neurological hearing, so that the poles of Venus connect with the Gulf of Castellamare, with the curving throat of Sicil Sicily like a ruthless intentional steam. 
marking in the Mongolian steppes with his hieroglyphical paws of intuitive malachite and sunstroke, an ibis in Genoa, a linseed spiral part Damascus, part of the Swiss Lunar Sea in Paris. The grown dog amounts, the magical snout alignment gazing at threads of Amazonian lice at its headwaters rotting, pointing cabalistically to its bottoms with his breath, pointing to the asteroidal fields of Ceres, the darkened pregalobular entropies mesmerized with howling and starlight, with magic geometries of panic, a diviner, analogous with landscapes of darkness, briefly dazzled by twilight and pumice, who seizes every particle of ground his breath pointing to butchery shelters and loneliness like a telepathic pine juice seething microbiology in vineyards howling at those sacred iguana downs looking for the magical cracks in the skin of space sucking in eclipse and likeness the principal force of ice balloons a wave of lotus junctures then all the sundown bluing, all the nucleic borium breathing across the asteroidal aisles, across the proton-neutron of this life, of this present profusion, the force of bays and winds and stars, smelling the blood, the spaces, the cunning ammonia of cyclic ambrosial dimensions, You know, poetry is odd in the sense that it works in terms of absolute magic. It does not work in terms of pre-planning or coding or in stamping a form upon its behavior. It erupts, and for me, it, it, it creates from that eruption all the, the, all the technical support that it needs. So it, it, it absolves a, uh, you know, a, a, a rational ethic uh, by its very nature. And so you, you don't want to lessen that. So with this particular poem, I was uh, in the um, middle of walking across a boulevard to catch a, um, I think to catch a bus or a train. And... By the time that uh, the poem hit me and by the time I got to my destination, the um, poem was completed. And it's called The uh, Psychotropic Squalls. To peer into the obverse, into smoking cane field errata, as if haunted with the steamy colitis of whirling iridium constellations. As in the saliva of newts, one sees the intestinal raging of deltas of blackened sea giraffes osmotically split into simultaneous alums, above a judgmental sea glistening with Richter's, like a weakened neutron egg. It's fissioning petrol mirages like spirals of irregular hunting geese, flying through flames of ulcerated smoke and gargantua, hissing a blank imperial greenness rising above dense jetties of cobras. The shocking demise of the sea, the unlivingness of its winds scorched by irradiations of shaking brine incisions, the burning gulfs of sun with a glint of explosive Mandaean utopias. Shocks against Old Testament linear prophetics of Jeremiah or Ezekiel or the bony frozen finger shaking stunted alchemical missives from a moon-burned Judea. No more than a mechanically burning moat focused on smoky spellbinders disruptors where the motion of the soul is delayed reduced to flattened agnostic secular smoke, to a territorial rage which eliminates its sensuous heavenly fires, its stunning unreplicated angers, its sudden selenium spirals, its fire which staggers across the pseudo-fault lines of pre-replicated judgment, its flirtation with spirits of enriched draconian plankton, so that the soul with its amber of flashing microbe drachmas 
with its wounded tourmaline divisibilities flaming within a light of smeared tornado weathers. Within a shower of black fish scales and spleen is entombed within a blank, thirstless psycho motion, falling from a furnace of stars which both flares up and freezes, which inculcates a flawed microbial botany as in hypnotic grammatical emulsions. Within a hollowed elliptical opening where we witness old Egyptian surgeries where the dead magically rise up from mazes and stare in a language of scorching totemic anomaly spawned in heretical miniature, there are phantoms seeping from quadrilateral sutures from brief violent renunciatory squalls uprooted armed with the weaponry of ghouls and broken birch tree lizards seasoned by the light of psychotropic angles blazing in the middle of a green Venusian interior god singing as if in the fumaroles of anguish with an inclement bleeding with a littered corona of unstable altimeter reverses. I'm, I'm just going to do one more fairly longer piece. Um, I, you know, as I said, the, the, the movement in, in, in the spirit is, 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 for me, is simultaneous. And, you know, they talk about quantum physics, but, you know, once you begin to hone and alchemically, you know, taking the, uh, I call it the drip of consciousness, you know, step by step by step. When you're not looking for, uh, you know, a, a, a yoga that, that procures items for you on a, on a bi-weekly basis. You know, when you're looking at, at yoga as a, like a, a, a humanistic, but like a, an, an analogous to a, like a geo, geological movement, you know, things just seep in at odd moments, which is analogous to the way poetry works. You know, it doesn't work in, on a linear time frame. You know, you can't just, for me, you just can't compose a poem a day, or you may be able to do three or four a day. <laughs> uh, this particular afternoon, I was sitting in my study, and the light was streaming in the window. It was like, you know, a dust ray from the sun, and I was looking at it, and... Uh, traveling and I was looking through this National Geographic and boom, Albania popped up. And uh, at that time and probably today, you know, the only person that I had known then and now, and I'm sure there's been changes since then, was the um, film director, uh, Werner Herzog, who had taken a walking trip into Albania, undisturbed. He walked right in. And so I said, if you can walk in, I can just float right in. So I, uh, a poem came to me about Inverhoja, the, the dictator who lasted until recently, until 1975. And, you know, as you may or may not know, the uh, Albanian uh, condition was such that it was um, so pro-communist that it, it, it broke away from the Soviet bloc in 1957 and aligned itself with the Chinese. It was one of the few countries in Europe that was aligned with China as opposed to Russia. And a uh, very poor country. And um, enough said about the, the, the background. I'll read the poem. And it's called Albania and the Death of Inverhoja. Sacrifice closely paralleled with sadness with darkened lunar wounds in the brain, the thoughts laced with paralysis ciphers, the voice full of fumaroles and muffled x-ray voltage, the cells cold with exhaustive inversion. And so all pronouncements become tautological, derisive. Each attempt at revival sundered with a weary dysfunctional torment with psychic nuclear crippling and hyperborean chills. All attempts at recovering push back into limbo. If one could look at the soul, it would take on the grief of a savagely splintered darkness, a simile of cacti and arrowheads burrowing into the crucially exposed eye stalks of crustaceans. The face always stained by a ruthless sapulosity coupled by paranoia and blasting. 
The expiring Hinver Hoja, prone like a skull on a slab of Marxist invectives, with a glut of crushed worms slipping from his forehead, laying there with personal rabies on the breath. It ignited grandeur coming out in riddles of oracular demon pulleys. Rust burns smoking below the stones of his flesh, his dictatorial mutterings like a spurt of unseasonable frog gills, like a grotesque insecticidal frenzy calling out from tormented histamine gardens, calling out from decrepit dodonas diseased with insidious meiosis. Hoja with secretive bone grafts, with rational murdering solutions, always hardened like blackened myasthenias. All his rebellious hirelings slaughtered in a square by machine gun and mortar. The killers surreptitiously empowered by mutative alienation by a heart of stunted mangrove blisters and his dreams like a definition of mustard gas, irritating, blistering, disabling. Hoja sucking in fumes from his after-death exposure, his astral obliteration like an exquisite brew of heinous polonium cocktails full of disintegrated polyhymnias, full of mental pollution and polymorphic pariahs and sweating, full of stunted radium, radium volcanoes and the sociology of crows. In his Stygian neurosis, this demon atop asphyxiation and thrones always remains demasted in haunting wallowing aspersions of asynchronous assuagement his lost Malpigian body directing his troops across a coldly burning land with all the embraceful contusions of a stifling necrology report to his master that the bones have been crushed, that the spleens are now rotted, that all is in order. The sun, like an Albanian nothingness, like an exposed nerve of singing, suddenly turned over into neutralized materia and vanished as a dry pineal concentration. And here we have Inverhoja on his deathbed, breathing in parasites and noxious Arabian vesications. Breathing in Aladora's turbularian rains, the remaining pores of his body filled with a furious obturation, with a dense clinical stoppage. Taking a poll of his highly conducive death counts, his obverse vivisectionist commandments, the population, an arrested quotient, a blank but undivided numerical dogma, wrestling with desires in molded sparring chambers, burning in Stalinist dialectical hells. And so Hoja, with his convinced insolutional ravings speaking out with his oily wolverine's tongue wrapped in his popular grave clothes of blackness, there were days when the moon began to howl at high noon, when all the aromas were suspended, when all the corpses were dredged up and eaten, when each anniversary of living was marked by insidious facial scarring, by vicious dog bites on the buttocks. This was reason and so the populace, full of carcinoma and rugas, their eyes cast down into sarsodotal infernos, into cold intensive lesion mining, could only witness their faces in puddles of urine, could only imagine how a morning of restive balneology would feel, how a life of campanology could brighten the darkness, but always disaster, gray, and permitted to burn like a daily burden of calcinated litmus, like a corpse with a vertebrae of flukes tossed up from the Adriatic shallows, tossed up in its ashen, lonely demeanor as an isolated cargo of worms. In Hoja, quoting remnants of Ingalls, concerning motion and divisibility, kinetics and bodies under his Spartan flag of pickaxe and rifle, the horseless carriage band, the blood supply diminished, the hillsides a jagged line of misty peaks like horizontal shards, like gigantic electrocardiograms, more occluded than Tibet, creeping along the boulevard of fallen heroes where one can feel the peasants feeding on grasses, seeking to mobilize their anomalous wrath to production. 
the cities full of windowless walls and the heritage of blood feuds. Yes, Albania like a black double-headed eagle on a coursing field of blood. Its exteriorized sacrifice ministries, its ferocious injury battalions, its cold atheistic medallions charged with a charisma and spite like a premise or a scar or a pure line of rote from its separating memory. Its mosques turned into stables, comets and asteroids banished from the language, and so one is given mechanics, the interchange of motion and equilibrium and the measurable transference of motion, the quantitative expression, the hatred of alien morality, and Hoja purged of all animal sentiment, his deathbed like a broken imperial rock, seething with a secretive personal dissension. Even the directorate of agitation is crumbling in his vistas because he smells the insurrectional molecules of the infinite blowing into his itinerant pantomime chamber. The inscrutable Hadean depths, a group of denuded chromium puppets floating before his eyes, his bizarre self-palpable plainness thrown into the face of cosmic betrayal. Ulcerations and demons appear beside his visage, even his own skull appears on the plainly colored revetment. And the sun, once simply a mechanical furnace, is now a thrust of light burning up his bones in the bulging knot of old foxtrots and purges. I'm going to uh, end up with two more. And um, this is from a volume that has yet to appear. It's been discussed and talked about uh, for a number of years. Uh, it's due out from an interesting little press in, in Michigan that, that, that operates sporadically. And they do beautiful books, uh, Canopic Press. And uh, the book is um, entitled The Sri Lankan Loxodrome. And the Loxodrome, in, in the sense that it's, it, it represents a kind of sailing, but in, in the sense I've turned this into a noun, where the Loxodrome has become a sailor. Now, the, he's, he's from this, this psychic Sri Lanka, and, uh, but he's, he's African. If you know, there's a little odd information about the, the African diaspora, which has gone east from Africa rather than west here across the Indian Ocean. And so as he sails through the Indian Ocean, you know, he is, uh, you know, on his lone psychic alchemical uh, journey where he sees visions and uh, he's, uh, he's a hero, but he's in this nether region where he he's, he's, he's fishes for, for serpents and sea snakes. You know, anything about the Indian viper, it's the most toxic viper, on, I think, on the planet, or one of the most. There's no anecdote for its... Uh, um, for its incision. So he, he is without safety net. And so it's analogous to the sailing as, as a poet without safety net. And uh, so on uh, this uh, journey, he's, he sees, he has conversations with this, this, uh, this apparition from Jaffna. Named, his name is Giannini. But in this particular situation, uh, that's the title poem. The, the poems leading up to that, he's seeing all these visions. And one of them is called the Optic Wraith. And I'll read that, uh, this particular uh, poem. Her eyes like a swarm of dense volcano spiders woven from cold infernal spools. Contradictory, consuming. Cling to my palate like the code from a bleak inventive ruse. Now my understanding of her scent is condoned as general waking insomnia, as void, as a cataleptic prairie frayed at the core by brushstrokes of vertigo. Then mazes and scents and balances conducted within the spore of her freshly cut alum, so that she lends to me a de-enlivened motion, a tortured hummingbird's sortie, as if I had buried my breathing in vitreous claims of acid, condemned to wearing on my back the remnants of a dark infernal laundry. 
Because her presence exists, I always write to myself notes of withdrawal, notes of flameless nautical urges igniting my disappearance as if a flame had blown my body in two, ruined in its essence by an animated squalor, like a disrupted stone divided in a blazeless infidel's mirror. At times I feel biform and theorentropic, therefore sullied, unclassifiable with rumor, with omens, with sabotage, like a sun in a squandered maelstrom house. A love affair by debit, by shattered interior pulley, with one of my meandering acts raffling off poison by camouflage. Say, after 5,000 hours of post-battalious fervor, I became anonymous in Carnadine, Salamandrine and Ethos, trapped by her insidious optical infiltration, my powers then suspended in an optional well of dice, wandering its bottoms in distorted plastique, with the rays from her body more pertaining to the supter hand, more, more pertaining to the feelings that have abandoned themselves across blizzards, life now occurring within contagions, occurring within the five caligonous motors spun from acts of devastation. So I apply myself to the sculpting of treacherous grain creating from depletion a dense, ambiguous treatise on wood, as combatant, on a galleon, I am boiling, faceless, transcendental with display, so that I am rooted and ceaseless with movement, withdrawn and cataclysmic from ambiguous with rain, never mentioning to any one of my motions despair or any rift in terms of climbing or pattern. So when I think of her optics, each of my shadows corrupts around a pole of a fierce and blazeless assessment. Identity then collapsing around a stunning shift of myrmidons, of bloody dialects, of steam from pores of mirages. I am de-identified in brokenness, my atoms subsumed in harems of spittle. Therefore, I wander within the fright, within the moon of her blank volcano arms, her sensations like a thrice-conceived lava pouring from a riddle torturing urn, an urn which I know to be destroyed, eaten by aphotic transparency. I remain then the riddle from the blazing galleon, the pariah, plunged through psychotic mirages. Perhaps... I hail from a spinning suborder or vacuum, or from a hamlet which posts exist within a fecund momentary climate. Again, her mazes have left me dim, aroused with perpetual perpetuity. I have not risen from the sea to simply capture a body or break a series of flamelets in two. Here I am, left in dysphotic trance. My actions subdivided like a pestilential hawk struck from obsidian lightning bells. Yet I remain alphabetically living as plain abdominal hunger mired in the dalliance of aboriginal mirage, philosophically half-voided, crimson with a trenchant folio as debate. And I'll uh, conclude with part of a poem... Um, in this book, Exobiology's Goddess, um, which is put out by local press, the Manifest Press, and it's happy to work with them. And uh, the uh, book is um, divided into two, uh, two parts. And uh, the title piece is uh, entitled Exobiology's Goddess, and the first part is Salia of the Simums. And I'm going to read the uh, second uh, poem, or the title poem. And uh, only uh, the first five pages or so and uh, it is uh, a quote from Northrop Fry uh, that I have uh, to begin with. And uh, he says that the poet, like the pure mathematician, depends not on descriptive truth, but on conformity to his hypothetical postulates. It's like we have some competition here. <laughs> Her range, uh, catabotic ash, dispersed across my strange nomadic hearing, alive as bleak metabolizing voids. And she is alive inside this blankness with her pure acidulous powers as audic speculation, 
as a conclave of serpents as double migratory winds at one time persistent solely to Eastern Asia. She is mirage whose aura is wattage, a blue-white glow with hymoseismal lines welling up from her sluices like earthquake patterns or a cunning sulfatara creating for my perusal a flight of inverted demons. Then summoning from her sound a compound of ammonia and gravity palpable as burning electrical transition, its ciphers condensed as a compound intransigent species. As goddess, she floats through sudden methane harbors, angling dust from the seas of the moon, revealing herself as huerta, as pomegranate, as an iceberg cowled from glaciers on Uranus. On nights when the sun appears, she whispers through form, through reflection, as though sound were created from ardor, from hypabyssal rocks, her sound now sunken to the seabed with all its auroral fires. The impact of her voice more disturbing than a grandma of blizzards or a rigid portion of broken tabula mass. The solar concavity then hovering in a voiceless anti-rain as pointless electrical fuel, its green totalic mist suddenly synonymous with solea, with her broken dromedary plantings, with her treacherous infertility. Her voice grafted with perplexities, with ironics hidden in a floating neural vacuum in intergalactic hissing warrants. So to announce her full effect is far beyond treacherous monotony or snow. She remains the dark, unstable on us, the black treaty as balance, flying apart and burning, being mirage as congelation, as formless tributary pony, algid, biting, ingenerate. And roused in one zone as an alchemical leopard, in another as reversal of simums of amber, alive as percussive obsidian shale, as fluid which dwells at the barrier of ether. I call her the Chaldean seamstress, forging hominids from darkness. And from Arabian blue deserts, she emits her tonality through deafness as perfect fruit acquired by agenda. So that matter does not transpire as her optic subrosa. Therefore, she generates topography through combative meridians, through storks of drift, through isometric deeds, as if in the breaking of ice her voice created bells, created arteries of vapor suspended over three or four terrains spliced through distance as motion. We interact as presence within presence, as spirit twice its equal in spirit, so that a range of beasts burns between us perhaps a skewer or a cormorant or a platypus, perhaps our haggling as a claw which scalds with radiation, with philosophical half-torment, so that we hang from one another like scattered alkaloid forms, like floating gestural plankton, her void oblique with transmutation with molecular half-boundary, so that our substance rise between the X-ray at its minimum and the sound which combines it atmospheric dioxide. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast from University of California Television. For more information about this and other UCTV programs, visit us online at www.uctv.tv.